Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. We recently talked about the Inbetweeners and we wanted to look at the film spin-offs as well. So that's what we'll be doing today. Now for those of you who don't know, I also do another podcast called Diminishing Returns, which is a film review podcast. And so we tied the two together, we looked at these as films, and so we have a guest with us today, Sol Harris, who is my partner on Diminishing Returns. So that's the other voice that you'll be hearing. So we'll be discussing the two in-betweeners films and relating back to the series a little bit, of course, but we'll try not to repeat anything that we actually discussed in our previous episodes. Fair warning, of course, we are talking about the in-betweeners. That means there's probably going to be some naughty language, such as briefcase wanker and bumder. If those sort of words offend you, please take the tape out now. And welcome to Diminishing Returns. This week we are twinned with the British Sitcom History Podcast to talk about a sitcom film spin-off, The Inbetweeners. The Inbetweeners movie. Yes, movie, not The Inbetweeners film. Medicanism. I've seen one case where they use film in the name of a film, which is Keith Lemon, the film. And it was just a... <laughs> It was a really tragic reminder of just how low budget and British the whole affair was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, if they want to call it the Inbetweeners movie, whatever. I'll let them have it. Even Mrs. Brown's boys <laughs> yeah. didn't call it a film. The movie. <laughs> the movie. The film. <laughs> well, Sol, you said that you, we, we, last time we had one of these mashup episodes, it was indeed to talk about Steptoe and Son. And yeah. I remember Alan telling us that just the way the funding worked there was lots of there was lots of those sitcom movies in the 70s because it was mm. really cheap and easy to make and then there were none made for years and years and years yeah alan did you say that the in between us was the one that kicked it all back off oh massively 100% the in between us was the had the biggest opening weekend for a british comedy no 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 no, no. alan alan oh, even even better than sex lives of the potato man I believe I believe the In Between His movie had the biggest opening weekend for a comedy ever in in British cinemas. Oh, as opposed to a British comedy, right? It beat. Wow. Well, I imagine it was both, to be perfectly honest. But it, it beat out The Hangover Part Two. I think previously held the record. High Company. It made a pretty staggering fifty-seven million dollars at the global box office off the back of a three and a half million pound. Sorry, that's fifty-seven million pounds. Sorry, did I say I was dollars? Say it, Off the back of a three and a half million pound budget, it made fifty-seven million pounds box office. You know, and then however much it went on to make on DVD and TV and so on. So it was a mm. a huge, huge, huge film by British standards. You know, and a pretty solid effort, even by Hollywood standards. To be honest, I must admit as well. What I, th- what I like about that is that I know the people who are involved, the creatives, the writers and the actors, are going to get a much bigger payday out of this than they did from the TV series, even though the TV series was what made it a success. And was a lot better. Just because of the way these things work. And, the you know, by the time you're making a film, you can go, OK, well, I want this much money. And I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know. I have no idea what their deal was. But I imagine the principal actors got a little taste of the back end, so to speak. I believe... Fucking hell. Is that is that a quote from the Inbetweeners you've just pulled out, or is that just you channeling? No, but I've spent the last week watching the Inbetweeners, so my mind is absolutely (laughs) sore. Um 
Yeah, I I know the writers. Um, is it what are their names? Damon Beasley and Ian Ian Morris. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I know they got some pretty nice deals to you know well, make they're, movies. They're the producers off as well the as back. the writers and creators. Yeah, so, one yeah, one of them directed the the, money. the second one as well, didn't they? Um, yeah, they're they're a lot more than just script writers. They 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 yeah. They're inv- well, the producers, yeah. But I believe off the back of the Inbetweeners movie, they signed some sort of four-picture deal with Film 4 that, you know, set to make them a very nice amount of money for a Film 4 deal. And they're also, they're working with Taika Waititi as well now. Are you aware that Taika Waititi, you know, really cut his directing chops directing the American remake of the Inbetweeners? We, ju- we did mention that, but yeah, also Damon Beasley and Ian Morris wrote a couple of episodes of Flight of the Concords as well. So they're, yeah. they're kind of all involved in that world together. Yeah. And, and you know, that that US remake was, of course, you know, poorly received, cancelled swiftly. Although, must be yes. said, it's very rare that a British sitcom remake even gets to series, you know? They normally don't get past the pilot <laughs> yeah. stage, so that's something... Are you aware they also signed a deal to make a US remake of the Inbetweeners movie, specifically, independent oh, really? uh, of the show? I think Paramount signed on to do a US remake called Virgin's America, which would presumably... Richard Branson cameo? <laughs> ...be about four American teenagers going on holiday abroad, I'm guessing. Well, you know what, Salt? That's interesting, because I, I didn't know that, but now you've planted that seed in my head, it's making me think that that might be one of the reasons. So I didn't enjoy the films as much as I enjoyed the series. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a revolutionary th- thought. But, but perhaps one of the reasons is that the films are probably more translatable to an American context, whereas the series is, is, is so British. It's so uniquely <laughs> British. And, and I think that's why it appeals to me a bit more. I, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think you'd struggle to get an American audience to really sit down and watch the Inbetweeners movie and appreciate it unless they're proper, what do you call it? Uh, Anglophiles. Anglophiles, that's the word I was looking for. Mm. I was the perfect age for the show when it came out. Mm. I was in sixth form when the first series came out on TV. Oh, right. So Wow, God, you are young. So it hit at the point where I was pretty much the, the main demographic they were aiming for, I think. Mm. Well, can I ask you then, Sol? Because I also didn't watch it when it first came out. It was a few years later, so really, I was right. well in, well into my twenties when I watched it. But I could cast back and relate to it. But of course, the people who wrote it were born ten years before me, so I feel like I, I don't know necessarily that a two thousand and eight teenager, sixteen year old, seventeen year old, is going to relate to it in the same way as someone who is looking back. If that mm. makes sense. Mm. So did you watch it at the age of 18 and go, yeah, totally get that. That's that's me. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll i say it wasn't just me. Like, you know, this, this was a huge show among sixth form. And, you know, everyone was watching it as it went out first right. run. It was a huge thing at sixth form. Yeah, I think part of that was it was, you know very relatable, very well-observed stuff. I mean, just to kind of put my thoughts out there, you know, I, I, uh, for our listeners, I, I give the series an 8 out of 10, put it that way. I, I, I really like it. It's very low-brow and not nearly as um, witty <laughs> as uh, British comedy can be at its best, but it's still generally a pretty good bit of fun if you, yeah. you know, if you're willing to go with it. And, and like I say, there's a real... I think it does have a real sense of nostalgia for me because I was that age as it was going out and it was quite a big part of of sixth form. I think part of the appeal of this to me 
is a nostalgia element as in I was watching this and going, oh God, I remember what it was yeah. like to be 16. I don't mm. think I would want to watch it going, oh, this is what I'm like now, aren't I a dickhead? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that would have quite the same appeal. Well, I, I don't think many people did. You know, I think girls and boys liked it alike. And I think most of the girls at sixth form were probably watching it and thinking like, oh yeah, that's what those annoying boys are like at school. Mm. I find that interesting, Sol, because uh, we, we were conscious of this when we were talking about it as two, two men. It, it, it was very male. It's a very male program. But in the, in the films, we have a lot more, uh, well, a lot more, we see a lot more from the female characters. And I don't think they're particularly well served. I don't. I, I, no, I, I mean, know, I, I don't think they're they're well written. I think, yeah, I think it's one of the major failings of the film. Actually, oh, one hundred percent. I think I, the female characters in the first film, in particular, are mm. a, a hindrance in multiple ways. But I'm 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 tr- I'm sort of trying to get my positivity about the show out of the way, so I can start <laughs> going hard on the movie. Right. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about the characters broadly a bit before we get into the yeah, film? Because yeah. a big part of the film, again, why sure. I'm going to go hard on it, is I don't think it quite catches I, well, I, the... I, I agree I think with you, I, I don't think it serves the characters at all. Yeah. I well, I, I will say that, you know, Jay was obviously this breakout character, but it was very much that kind of... It takes on a life of its, lo- a life of its own thing to the point that it starts being picked up by people who don't really understand the joke and, and his stuff mm. starts being said unironically. And yeah. basically, I guess the point that I'm trying to build to here is that by the time the movie came out, I was feeling a bit of pushback, really, against the series and Jay because mm. of the fan base having made it um, right, yeah. <laughs> just annoying. Uh, so I understand a- that. I don't... I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't really have other people that were watching it at right. the same time as me. So, but I do have. I know exactly what you're talking about because I get that sort of thing all the time with yeah. different. You things. know, you must have. You must have seen, for example, the orange ads that played in the cinemas for about six months with Jay from the Inbetweeners meeting the Expendables to. Uh, well, well, I saw. I saw the ads. I saw the ads with him in it, and then they cut to a shot with. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. I never saw them together or interacting in any way. Uh, yeah. I don't think they ever actually met, but you know. But you know, I I just think I think the show was something of a victim of its own success, and I think the the movie is arguably part of that, an extension of that. I I'm gonna sound like I dislike it more than I do. I don't dislike mm. it, but it but broad strokes, I think it is your classic. They haven't captured what made this work on screen. They've kind of sold out a bit. This is dumbed down, if you can believe it, from the show. Mm. Mm. They've somehow lost some of their charm, and that's that's a word I use advisedly. But but it it just feels like a bit a bit of a more blunt instrument that they're hitting us with in the movie. Yeah, it's lost something. It's lost some subtlety. There's a lack of again, probably the wrong word, but innocence. Yes, they're yeah. just. They're, seeing them and in and seeing them in a school uniform makes everything so much easier to to, to go. It's like a sixteen year old and an eighteen year old is so different, and mm. it, it makes a difference to how their behave, how we accept their behavior. There's also a big difference in terms of how you know it's a movie, so it's willing to go further with things. And so the perfect example of that is that one of the opening scenes introducing us to Jay in this film is him preparing to have a fancy wank with a, uh, is it like mm. a baseball glove and some so, like some cold cuts of turkey? A snorkel. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it's and it's just a, it's a bit more explicit than I ever remember the show being, mm. in a way that 
is obviously going for gross-out laughs, but is actually just a bit gross. But I think Alan's got a point there. I think Jay in Jay in the in-between the series is, is he's certainly charmless, but he's he's tragic. He's a tragic figure. Whereas in the films, where he's a bit older, he, you know, he's, he's almost predatory. <laughs> he's a knob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's a dickhead right. in the He's not in charming the at all. Just that, that opening with Jay, like, we've seen him before masturbating or whatever, or getting ready to have a wank, and... You know, things like, oh, if you if you sit on your hand and it goes dead and then it feels like someone else is doing it. It's like, we, we all joke. know that. We've heard that. It's an urban legend or something you've tried. But having a wank with some ham and wearing a snorkel doesn't... Like, that's just some random nonsense. <laughs> that's not universal, is not, it? <laughs> it's not a relatable humour. It's just a weird <laughs> thing that he's doing. Well, that, that really felt like they've watched American Pie and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah. we've got to try and do something like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. worse. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, at the same time, I did find it really... Fu- like, it's ob- you're just waiting for the mum to walk in, but I did find it really funny that his reaction to that was, uh, I'm just trying to book a holiday, is what he shouts <laughs> at her. <laughs> to Turkey. So, you know, it's not all bad. Like, it's still, it's still got more or less that level of humour that I think the show operated at. It's, it's mm. more the, the writing and the plotting that I think lets this movie down. I think there's an air of tragedy about it, first of all, because it is a yeah. British movie on a, you know, pretty low budget, trying to aspire to more. So that means that we finally see Will's dad, who's been referred to throughout the series, and mm. it's the huge celebrity get. And do you know, Alan, they managed to get the dad of the girl who plays uh, Carly. Yeah. How, did they, how, they, how did they get his number? They managed to get him for... About half a day's filming, it would seem like. And don't get me wrong, I love Anthony Head. He's one of my favourites. I love it when he pops up and stuff. But Anthony Head is someone you could get to be a significant character in the Inbetweeners uh-huh. movie. And to get him in for a pointless scene up front that is just there to say, look, it's Anthony Head, and adds <laughs> nothing else. Like, it's bizarre. And it just makes the whole thing feel tragic. And they probably could have got someone, you know, a bit. If extras could get fucking Samuel L. Jackson and Kate Winslet and David Bowie. Hugh Grant. Then... They should have got Hugh Grant. Yeah. Anthony Head is, is a pound shop Hugh Grant. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Hugh, Hugh Grant is probably attainable for one scene playing Will's dad at the start of the Inbetweeners movie. Um, anyway, so that's a really weak opening scene, and that is the very first scene. Then we have this huge shot from Sky, and it comes down from the clouds, and it, you know, flies through the streets and, and lands on the, this, you know, house. And that's like half the movie's budget right there, which is just painfully, painfully obvious, you know, the first time you, you watch it. And it, again, it just, it doesn't work because there's nothing else like that in the film. It's it's like blowing their load up front and then yeah. it's basically an episode of the show, but in abroad. And it works in the sense of what it's doing and it sets the scene, you know, and all that. But yeah, it just doesn't seem necessary. And I think one of the real charms of the TV show is its low-grade nature. It feels like it's just shot on some digicams and, and sort of thrown together, not much lighting. Channel 4 for you, isn't it? I mean, yeah. But that, <laughs> I, think that really, I think that really helps, and it really adds to it, to the style of it. Now, I appreciate for a film you might want to go a little bit more glossy, but I don't think you need to overdo it, and I think generally they don't. It's just that, mm. that opening, like you say, they do kind of, yeah, throw throw their wad up uh, on that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you could have spent that money getting Hugh Grant, but it, it looks nice. It still works. 
so if we actually deal with the plot of the film, it's the these lads have just they've graduated from sixth form now. They're at university and they decide to get together for a lads' holiday uh, in Malia in Greece. Now here's a problem in terms of relatability. I never went on a lads' holiday <laughs> because you know it's, it seems like hell. But uh, did you ever do that, Sol? No, it's it's not. Um... Well, I went on a lads' holiday when I was uh, probably eighteen, maybe seventeen. Uh, my mate Demo had an uncle who worked at a resort in Spain, and so we oh. we went out for a couple of weeks to stay with him. But <laughs> unfortunately, what man. what I didn't know um, <laughs> until we got there was that he was he was working in a resort called Sitges on the Costa Brava, which is the gay capital of Europe. So <laughs> I had a perfectly nice couple of weeks, but I well I, I wasn't knee deep in clunge. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Still, any port in a storm, right? That's all part of growing up, isn't it? <laughs> I, I mean obviously you know we spoke about it last time round but the cliche of you make a, a british sitcom movie is ah they all go on holiday like that that's all they do here i, I so one of the films that the writers producers of of this followed up um i think probably the first maybe the second in that film four deal that i mentioned was that film the festival and i just it really struck me Going back to this, like, wouldn't this have been better served and more, more like in the spirit? I think of the series more true to what the in betweeners is, and it's kind of low, like, like you were saying, Alan, the kind of low grade, cheap aesthetic. If they just went to a festival rather than a proper, yeah, holiday. Yeah, well, road. that's it. When actually, now you say that, when I was a teenager, growing up near Leeds, the thing to do was go to Leeds Festival. Oh, yeah. That's the thing to do in a lot of places, Alan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that locally for me, because we were so close. So that's what everyone did. And it was did just you a do complete... That? Yeah. No, I didn't, obviously, because I didn't want to go. But Well, uh... well I mean, <laughs> I, I went to the local one round my way, which, you know, more recently opened, uh, Creamfields. And I mean, fuck me. Yeah. What, a, what a horrible experience. What an awful time. <laughs> but... You know, there's a, there's a lot of material to be mined there, and it's in the same vein as, yeah. as what this is. I mean, like I say, you can watch that film, The Festival. I don't know if you've seen it, but, you know, it includes a group of drunk people dressed as Smurfs, which are also in this yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. for example. And it's it's not contrived to believe that these characters would go on holiday together, but I don't know, there's just something a bit lazy i know you say yeah i i I know what you mean actually i think them going on a lad's holiday is perfectly fine it works but i do think uh, like you're saying a festival would perhaps have had a better aesthetic and a better griminess to it should we get into those those girls because basically they meet four counterpart women yeah in a shit bar and it's very clearly one girl for each boy but they never quite make a joke out of it in the way that they might have done you know, it's yeah. not like it's not like Will ends up with the bespectacled one who's a bit of a nerd. The only one who's actually a bit like their counterpart is there's a lanky, weird one for Neil. Yeah, it's not like that scene in Shaun of the Dead where they walk past. Uh, yeah, the other yeah. <laughs> Neil, by the way, like in my recollection, he is like this huge, huge lanky beanpole of a guy. And I realized the other day, having a chat with um, some of our listeners on our Discord. It's just that all the in-betweeners are really short. The guy who plays Neil is six foot tall, which is the same height that I am, which isn't that tall. But I can't get over how small Simon Bird is. That's pretty much what I'm leading to. I also worked on a thing with Tom Rosenthal in it. 
And he, for people who don't know, Simon Bird's probably second best known after The Inbetweeners for Friday Night Dinner, another British sitcom Mm -hmm. in which his brother is played by a guy called Tom Rosenthal. And in that show, Tom Rosenthal towers above him. Like, you'd think, oh god, Tom Rosenthal, what a tall guy. Um, when I met Tom Rosenhall, I was I was taken back by how short he was, like significantly shorter than I am. But then when you look at pictures of him next to Simon Bird, he is like twice his height. And it just makes me think like <laughs> Simon Bird must be on the cusp of it being a medical thing. <laughs> well, that's how he gets cast as a teenager, even though you're 24. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's, that's probably it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so there are four main characters anyway. And then the movie pretty swiftly well simon has a running thing throughout the show a kind of will they won't they uh with carly and basically they go on holiday so that he can pursue her to the ends of the earth at the same resort that she's gone to well no he doesn't know does he he oh you're right you're right you're right neil books it because it's the one she yeah because she breaks up with him at the very start of the film yeah and so he's played like throughout the film it's him being much like he was in the show, this kind of, you know, lovelorn, desperate yeah. loser. Well, that's that's it again. It's Everything's just turned up slightly, like Gareth said there. So in the show, it's this girl he's known for his whole life and he's just, he's always had a massive crush on her. So she's the girl next door, like the one who's unattainable. And then at the start of the film, we see that they've actually got together finally. But then she's like, look, we're going to way to universities. Let's not try and do a long distance thing. Let's split up. Which, by the way, if anyone who's watching who is in that situation, definitely the correct decision. <laughs> um, <laughs> go to uni and be free and single. Uh, but then in the film, he's chasing her and he's like, he's trying to win her back. So it's slightly different, but basically the same principle. But it's all just a bit over the top. And s- some of the things he does... As he does do some very stupid things rather than... Yeah, yeah. And and he is, you know, he's as stupid as Neil is in the show in this movie. And it's that's the thing, like, this, this movie, everyone seems out of character because it all seems to be plot-driven rather than character-driven. It seems to be, oh, we had an idea for a funny scene. Yeah. How can we bend our characters over backwards to fit them into this right, hole yeah, that they yeah. don't make sense in? So a good example of that is... Uh, Simon at one point decides he needs some money so he inexplicably goes to sell all his clothes on a street corner Um, some knobhead comes past and very clearly winding him up makes a fake phone call like where his friend is gonna you know give him whatever it was a hundred euros or whatever for the lot but he has to have all his clothes including the ones that he's wearing and Simon not only doesn't realise it's a joke and takes his clothes off, but Will, who's with him as well, also doesn't clock that it's a joke. He clocks yeah. that it's maybe a bad idea, but not, this is a scam, he's lying, mate. Mm. That's not that's not realistic. And then we just have a scene where Simon's naked and that's the joke. And mm. like, but it's but it doesn't play because it's so weak how they get to that point. Yeah. It's, it's certainly so is. Contrived. In fact, I think that's probably the weakest point of the film uh, in terms of the characters that we deal that we know and love. I mean, I, th- I think the weakest aspect for me are the the love interests. These four girls, say mm, yes. So they go to a shit uh, bar, which isn't that bad. It's just empty. Uh, but that's probably partly because they go in at like you know three in the afternoon or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then four, you know, counterpart women come in and basically spend the whole movie throwing themselves at these four absolute pricks who give them mm. nothing. Yep. Yeah. 
just so at the end of the film they can have a happy romantic ending where they all realize the error of their ways like simon no the, the uh, will's counterpart this incredibly attractive mm. blonde woman who's you know gone on to have a, a hollywood career she was the in one of the transformers movies in a substantial role oh, do you remember wow. that alan oh really yeah she was optimus prime didn't she she was uh, she was Chris Pratt's mum in the flashbacks in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Both of them. They brought her back for the second one. Do you know what the the biggest problem with her is? That she looks about 28. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how old the actor actually is, but obviously you're hiring actors who can look 18, and she doesn't. Mm. And then couple that with the fact that she's a very mature character and she's quite yeah. sensible throughout most of it. It makes her seem so much older it doesn't fit. And Yeah, Will Will's more of a Will's a quote unquote mature character, but he you know, he does it in a way that is like, Oh, this this is someone who is very inexperienced and immature, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's But he's a, yeah, he he's he's precocious he in the show. He's, he's a sixteen year old who yeah. wants to be thirty five and exactly, wants to be seen exactly. as that. But he still has all the the, the baggage that comes with being a sixteen exactly. year old. Whereas she is just like you say, just like a mature character, and she's the least bad one of the lot. Her and uh, Will have some scenes interacting, a bit of flirting. You see yeah. how she might, you know, find him charming. They actually laugh yeah. a bit about things. Yeah. The the question is not why is why is she attracted to him, but why is she hanging out with these other people that she doesn't appear to have anything in common? That with? are ten years younger than her. Yeah, the other problem with that is uh, we set her up as what she is and we say, okay, her and Will could get together, fine. But then we get, oh, she's going out with this Greek waiter and she's come back to see him again Mm. and she's fallen for this kind of creepy Greek waiter that we then do end up revealing is a creepy Greek waiter and uh, is is just shagging whoever he can find. That character would not fall for that and and we'd never get an explanation of why she would uh, and and so that's the inconsistency mm. of the character, I suppose. I don't know. I I, I don't have too much of a problem there. But I mean, what? <sighs> so the other ones we have are Simon's counterpart, who is this the the brunette with a fringe, and I can't stand it because he spends the whole film going on about his ex and how he you know misses her and he's going to win her back mm. and how amazing she is. And they get some jokes out of her clearly coming on to him and him being oblivious to it and running off to see Carly and stuff. Mm. But what does she How many see times? In him? How many times is she going to go back? Because she's, again, she's a pretty attractive woman. She could do perfectly well on, on holiday with yeah. some nice men if she wanted to, if that's what she's interested in. Which she obviously is because she's desperately sniffing around Simon, who's not remotely interested, and a prick. Yes. <laughs> and has an awful haircut. And I hate Simon. I hate Simon. Simon is just, like, you're meant to think he's the everyman. But even in the show, he was always... Like, I knew people like that at sixth form. And they were nice. But they were just so like, oh, fuck off. Like, have some personality. Get <laughs> that's a personality. He's vacant, isn't he? That's, that's the vacant, thing. Vacant, great <laughs> word. Yes, that's exactly what he is. There's just nothing there. And, and, and in this movie, he is just a... He's an idiot and rude and a dick. Mm. And then at the end of the film, he turns around and goes... Oh, you know what? I've just had an epiphany that actually that other girl fancies me and is quite attractive. So I'm going to do a big grand romantic gesture so the film has like a a big moment to end on. And sure, they undercut that with a joke as well. But it's still like, that's kind of, the the plot is hinging on these romantic relationships. And it's weak. It just doesn't Mm. work. Well, that one's the worst, yeah. Because... 
you, you, yeah, you'd never get any sense of why she would keep pursuing him. He's not sympathetic at all. He's sympathetic in the show. We we relate to him. We we want him to be. We want him to win. We want him to get the girl. And and you know he's frustrated constantly. Whereas you're absolutely right. In in the film, he doesn't deserve the girl. He's absolutely exactly. Messed her around. That's that's it. Like I know it's awful to talk in terms of like deserving women and so on. But <laughs> yeah. but in but in insofar as from a film writing point of view. Mm your protagonists either deserve a happy ending or don't like you know d- based on their morality displayed throughout the film he deserves an unhappy ending he doesn't so, so you've hit on to... you've hit on my biggest problem here with the film you're saying that in the film they don't deserve a happy ending whereas in the series they're more relatable and you want them to do well but in the series yeah. and this is very important they never win they always yeah. end up losers at the end of the episode, and in this, in this, they all end up, they all end up happy at the end, and that I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not convinced by that. Mm-hmm. That's a complete betrayal of the characters. I, I will say again, you know, this was meant as the grand finale, and I think you know they they were writing this when they were working on series two, I believe, of the show. So they they obviously ended the series with you know it wasn't like they round, rounded up the show and then went, oh, we'll mm. make a movie. They probably thought right well we'll save a happy ending for the very end and what have you but you're right it it doesn't quite ring true it feels a bit hollow and like they've gone hollywood um but alan i think it's interesting you said that that was the worst relationship of the bunch and i'm not sure it is i think the worst (laughs) one might be jay and um is it is it jane jane Jane, yeah well a very similar a very similar thing but i think jay in all this we'll get into what but i think jay is a lot more sympathetic in all this and you understand yeah. what he's doing whereas mm. simon's just being a dick yeah completely i i agree with that but i i guess my issue here is more going back to things not being conveyed very well or just not mm. put put together in a on a technical let's make this script into reality kind of way this character she's, that jay is matched up enough. with is written as fat woman and the whole point is fat and and she's not just meant to be fat but it's you know it's fat to the point that you cannot walk down the street without people turning heads and making comments mm, people and are they, shouting they, at her in the street about her making fat, jokes yeah. about beached whales to her face even after they meet her she's that obese and who they've gone and cast is actually a barely overweight plus-sized model who's extremely mm. attractive again she's beautiful <sighs> Obviously, it's shit because it's just it doesn't play and it's stupid and it means the whole film just feels fake and dumb and you keep forgetting that she's meant to be fat. But a huge part of the story is Jay being a dickhead who, you know, is embarrassed to be seen with her and overcoming that and learning to be okay with who they are and not listen to dickheads. But in the show, he had no shame about trying to get a blowjob off a seventy-year-old grandma. Like he, <laughs> that's it he exactly. Doesn't... If they, if if we saw these characters and they looked across the room and go, "Oh, she's a bit of all right." Oh, what do you mean she's a bit fat? Isn't she? No, mate, fat's good. More cushion for the pushing. I once shagged exactly. the world's fattest woman once. It was great. It's completely out of character that he would have any issue with it at all. He'd be, you know, he might still talk a big game behind her back about it in a nasty way, but. You know, he'd be chasing her very full on, and I'd, he, he doesn't have any shame. That's the point. Jay is set up and established through three series of this show at this point as shameless. 
But I think you could you could do that a little bit more subtly. He gets off with this girl, everything's going fine, and then someone, probably not one of his friends, but maybe the rep who's the arsehole or whatever, says something and starts getting into his head, like going, oh, see, so you got the fat bird. Yeah. And just some, something that he's trying to impress someone else. Exactly. And he's like, so he has to kind of start questioning his own motives. And exactly. It, it you just, could be more subtle you know, about that. Right, that's thought you was coming to the party. Yeah, I was. I popped my head in the door, saw you chatting up some fat birds, so I didn't want to cramp your style. I wasn't chatting her up. I was keeping her busy while Simon was talking to her mate. Don't be embarrassed, son. If I was as bad with the ladies as you, I'd have moved on to the fatties months ago. <laughs> if it wasn't literally there are people walking past on the street seeing him about to kiss her who stop and start making comments because oh he's gonna kiss a fat girl oh and it's yeah. like that's not people don't do that i think they're pretty overweight the men making those comments themselves not that that necessarily well, would stop that's the patriarchy so <laughs> <laughs> but even in this film even in this film neil is like shagging fat old women who are actually quite ugly and cast to be unattractive. And, you know, they talk about how they sound like Johnny Vegas and they actually do talk like that. And it's like, if Neil's doing that with no shame and no one's really giving him a hard time about it, why well, no, would Jay suddenly... Sex, which means he's doing better than the rest of them. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it, isn't it? That's, it? that's the internal logic of these characters. And, and the, well, the, the internal logic just isn't there. You know, we can... Obviously, all the things we're talking about, I feel like we need disclaimers to say, obviously, these are horrible opinions that they all have and the way that they treat women is awful. Of course, but within the internal logic of these characters... That, yeah, there's they're, a they're horny there teenagers. There is a system, there is no a code, scribbles. and they are breaking that code here, and it, that's why it doesn't work. Yeah, and I think with with the with the Neil situation, like I said, Neil is a as a naive, and so he's just thinking, oh look, some girls grinding up against me. Oh, oh I've got a finger in the club. The fact that she's fifty seven year old dinner lady doesn't matter. He doesn't even think about it. He doesn't worry about what people think of him. Yeah, I think Jay does. Whatever, you know, I think Jay does worry what people think of him, but he also wants to have sex. Exactly, <laughs> so. and he's. And, and the sex has always very much trumped that in the show. And, you know, a lot, a lot of teenage boys are like that. You know, they will they will or would, in theory, take anything they could get, but they're not even being offered. And, and of course, that's that's all undercut by the fact that she, you know, she's put up with this in, this entire to in and fro in. Why, why, why would she stick around for all of that decision-making process? <laughs> she, I think the idea is, oh, she's used to it. She's heard it all. But in the you know, series, she's heard you know, it all, the... so it can't hurt her. But it, it doesn't play like a real person, and none of these. Yeah, because women... you know how well-adjusted, fat, eighteen-year-old girls are about their appearance. In the criticism in the series that there aren't enough female characters, and they're not well-serviced; they're just there as foils for the boys. And you know, okay, yeah. it's about four boys, so that's the way it is. Whereas in the films, we have these female characters, and they're just you know they're they're poorly written and unbelievable they're characters. They're props. Yeah. Yeah. Well, while, while we're talking about female characterizations, can we talk about Carly? Because yes. this is a character that we set up throughout the show, so we've got a lot more backstory here. And that is completely abandoned for, for the film, in which they turn her into a total bitch. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, remind me, because it's been a while since I watched the show, but... It was a bit more of a two-way will they won't they thing, wasn't it? Her and and um, not exactly, Simon. not exactly. It's always him who fancies her, but it's always him fancying knows... her, but she 
does once or twice give a little hint of, oh, okay, maybe. Is well, that I right? think, but that's that's why I really like the character in the show because I think it's really well drawn in in that you know she's obviously aware that he's interested in her, but she's not that really fussed about him. She's got other people going on, but then perhaps when one day she hasn't got someone else going on, he's there for her, and that doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't mean she's using him. It means she's a teenage girl who will get attention when she needs mm. it. And again, she doesn't string him along, but she makes sure he's on the string. So when she sees him talking to another girl, she will kind of just go up and just say hello and, and speak to him and just remind him that she's there. And I like that because it's not necessarily a malicious act. It's just a normal human thing, especially when you're a teenager, just to make sure that you're not mm. being forgotten about. But in this film she uses him and she's quite unpleasant to him. Well, yeah, at the start she breaks up with him in a way that's pretty reasonable. It's it, the only yeah, real exactly, bit yeah. is at the end she uses him to try and make someone else jealous, yeah, it's which just is the same pretty... it's, it's it's the same as all the other characters. It's it's turned up too high. It's just slightly overwritten. Yeah. But then then the 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 other side of that is that the bad guy they have here, the club rep who's a bit of a dick, is not a bit of a dick. He's an absolute psychopathic he's a, insane he's a psychopath. person. Yeah, he's a coked up. And so nutter. having this character of Carly falling for that is plausible but we need we need the moment where she finds yeah. out the truth about him and goes oh hang on he's a dick and that yeah. doesn't mean she then goes back to Simon or maybe that is maybe that's the better end she finds out this guy's a dick and then she goes back to Simon and that's the moment where Simon goes hang on you're coming back to me now I'm your backup exactly no screw exactly. you I've got a backup yeah. of my own and exactly. then he goes to her and she goes fuck off how many times have yeah. you rejected me and that's and the end because they never he, win. It goes home alone and the others stay there for an extra week. <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, I, I guess my point is that like this is still quite an enjoyable film and I have a soft spot for it, even though it doesn't really work. It's it's about sixty percent of what made the T V show work. It captures I, I about sixty percent of that. Yeah, I, I go Magic. along with that number. Well, I, my experience was, you know, we I watched all three series, The Inbetweeners, in the space of about two weeks before we did our podcast on it. Then I watched this film, and I was pretty annoyed with it. Didn't like it, for all the reasons we've talked about. Then I watched The Inbetweeners movie two, and suddenly the first one looked a lot better. Huh? Wow. So The Inbetweeners movie was a fuck-off massive success by British standards. It mm. did really, really well. And even though it was intended to be the swan song for the Inbetweeners, because, you know, they were reaching the point where they were getting too old to play these characters anymore. Mm. So this movie was very much a we'll do it for the money situation. And that rarely turns out well. But due to popular demand, like uh, there was a, a, you know, people wanted more. And they were like, all right, we'll give them what they want, make some money. To be fair, why not? Like, the first movie, you know, it was meant as the big, you know, swan song, but you could make more of these forever. In ten years, what is Jay but not Gary King in The World's End? But, but you know, like, <laughs> I think they could do a, a reunion film in between yeah, us three where they're totally. all old and see where they're up to, and people would, you know, might not be the smash hit this one was, but I think it'd make money, and there's an interesting concept there, and I don't think people are drawn to these characters because they're in sixth form or university. I think they were drawn to them because they like the characters. Uh, and... Yeah, you see, that's yeah, why I disagree Yeah, a big part of it, though. Yeah, I mean, you, you allow a lot from these characters because they're 16. 
Yeah. And that's why they True. don't get away with it quite so much in the movies, because they're old. They're old enough to know better. Yeah. Yeah. Even even that couple of years where they're supposed to be 18 makes a big difference. I think there's still a fair bit of life in what they're doing at this point. And, you know, they obviously were willing to pretend they agreed for money. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, why not? But then, you know, they just go on holiday again. And that's pretty weak again. They couldn't think of anything different to do. They go travelling this time, though. Yeah, the whole point of the first one is they go off for a one last hurrah before they go to university. So, make a movie set at university. Do something mm. with mm. a university location. There are, there are plenty of movies that are set at college in America and find a way to make that cinematic. So make a British college movie. Instead, we get 15 minutes at the start showing, you know, brushing over the fact they're at university and then, I don't know. What what they're doing here, what they're kind of mocking or what the relatability is the gap year thing, isn't it? Like, that's what they're yeah. doing really. Or yeah, yeah, they're yeah. kind of travelling, you know. I'm travelling, I'm not a tourist. Yeah. It's still in that coming of age, you know, ballpark. So, you know, I think it works, but... There's still the fuel there for something. And yeah. I think they managed to find a lot of that. But premise aside, look, broad strokes, I think this is pretty much what the first film should have been. Like, it's it's basically that same base level of humour and spending time with these characters that's enjoyable, but it's not hindered by dreadful, convoluted writing with cardboard characters crammed in there. For the most part, I think the plotting and the structure and the story side of it works. Maybe not incredibly well, but it hangs together in a way that I think the first film doesn't. To sum up my biggest problem with this film, I just didn't laugh at all once. You know, it was just, it just felt like it, we said about the difference between the series and the film, it was just a little bit too much. It's just that little bit further. It was almost like they'd taken the, taken their characteristics, which we are caricaturing, and they just stretched them too far. It was like the elastic had snapped or something. I don't know. It it just felt like, oh God, it just felt like a trial watching it. Maybe you'd burned yourself out because you were watching it all back to back. To me, it felt like the characters had been, you know, brought rubber banded back to a kind of acceptable level. I didn't feel like they were going further than they did in the previous film. You know, Simon is very much back to more of a relatable everyman kind of guy. And I like the dynamic they set up that he's still with the girl from the previous film, but she now actually has a personality, mm-hmm. even if it is, you know, maybe not the best one for female representation. But Well, I, I don't, I, I didn't like that because she just, yeah. It was, it was totally a totally different, different character. character. Yeah, and it didn't make any sense. And also, yeah. again, a bit too far in that, why would you have, why wouldn't you just go, oh, this person's insane. I don't want to be in a no, relationship. I, I like that. I think I can yeah, totally well, buy this. <laughs> I totally buy that Simon could get stuck in this thing that he's like mm-hmm. too chicken shit to to do. Yeah, anything about. maybe you do, maybe you just need to build that a little bit more. But yeah. but particularly given that we everything we know about this female character is from the first film and is completely different to what we see yeah. here. So it's like why why even make it the same character if you're going to do that? Just say it's someone else. Who cares? Like what does it matter? Well, yeah, it's for vague attempt at continuity, isn't it? So people aren't going what happened to the girl from the last one? Well, they split up. They're 18. They shagged on holiday. No, I know. I know. They they met on holiday. It's it's weirder that they're still together. It doesn't to need that big a retcon. <laughs> Just Yeah. <laughs> I like that Jane is still present in this film and is still actually quite a big part of the film even if she's only in what, she's fat? scenes <laughs> <laughs> see that's a that's a joke at a level far beyond the uh, fat jokes yeah, in the in between exactly. movie 
No, I, I like that, you know, she is the driving force behind this movie. She's the reason Jay went to Australia in mm-hmm. the first place, which is in tandem the reason that the other characters followed him. And she is, you know, the goal for Jay. He's trying to track her down to apologize and win her back. I like that. It's a nice bit of continuity world building. It's in character. And I think that's a, that would have been enough for keeping the characters together from the previous film. Yeah. You could buy the others, never saw them again. Because mm-hmm. you don't keep in touch with normal friends that you meet on you know holiday, let alone like long distance relationship yeah. ones. It's... Mm-hmm. Well, what I like about the whole Jay and Jane thing is that it's not like he's travelled halfway around the world to find her. I know he kind of has, but it's more like... He knows she's there, and then it's like, oh, well, we've got family over there. I could go over, and I could kind of sell that as like, oh, I'm just going to Australia to kind of find myself a little bit, you know, and do stuff. And then he gets there, and he's not just like homing in on her. He's got a job, and he's doing stuff. So it's like, yes, him hankering for her has informed his journey somewhat, but he's not there to do that. He's followed her halfway around the world, but half-heartedly and with complete ineptitude. (laughs) But I yeah, think which I think that's very much yeah. that's very much what Jay is, and it's yeah. back to being his character as we're and and also sympathetic. One bit of the film that I really enjoyed early on was it's part of the introduction, really, when when Jay is narrating his journey to Australia, and he's obviously it's all bullshit, oh, yeah, and he's yeah. saying how he's a DJ, and that's that where little, all that the extra video budget sequence went. was. It sort of reminded me a little bit of an Edgar Wright type of uh, sequence, you know, where we just get yeah, these yeah. quick cuts, and, and it was all put together very neatly. But I liked that because that was a that was a here's Jay, here's his bullshit, we're back. I make love to them with a technique I like to call the one pump orgasm. They absolutely love it. Name an Aussie bird and I fucked her. Elle McPherson, check. Dame Edna Everidge, check. Carly and Danny Minogue freeway. I've done that 10 minutes after getting off the plane. And mates, I've made loads of cool new mates who come around for dinner and that. But really, it's all about the birds. Aussie Sheilas just can't get enough of Jay, especially the supermodels. Who, by the way, love it on the shitter. <gasps> Ian Morris took up the director's chair for this one. And that scene is like, it's such a blatant, I've got to make a mark for myself as a director to kind of have a career after this sort of thing. (laughs) And it's also much like the big aerial shot in the first film. It is, how are we going to justify this as a movie? But to be fair, it works. It's funny. It it sets the, um, it gives you all the kind of exposition you need. So yeah, it's good. It's a good scene. I like it. The, the The major issue I have is that they give Will a new romantic interest, and she's basically the exact same one they gave him in the previous film. No, I, I, I don't know about that. What, she's more kooky. She does look the same, but what I liked about this is that I never really believed that she liked him or was that bothered. She yeah. was just, you know... All right, I guess that's the first, fair, yeah. The first film, you do feel like there's a real connection. This feels like he is desperately going for someone who's just giving him a bit of attention, probably because she's selling him stuff. Like, not in a really malicious way, but, you know, she's just, she's getting something out of him, whatever. She's drunk, so she likes the attention, whatever. Well, she's just a bit more free-spirited, and she would shag him if uh, she felt like it on, you know, overnight. And But he reads a lot more into that. But that's it. She would never go out with him, though, like, as a long-term thing. But that's but that's why it's perfect for Will, because he, he doesn't he get just it. Just enough knows that to think I've definitely got a chance here but if I do one slight thing wrong I'll ruin it and and that's the tightrope that he needs to walk and that's where comedy arises 
Well, my reaction to all of those characters is exactly the same as Will's. All of those yeah. traveller people, I just can't bear. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm like, oh, you pretentious wankers. But when I was 19, I would have pretended to like them if it got me some sex. Exactly. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> but I, my favourite bit in the whole film, the, bit, the, the most relatable thing I've ever seen in my life, they're around a campfire and the, the, the surfer dude is... Um, starts playing his guitar and Jay just goes oh no why is there always some cunt with a guitar <laughs> and I thought yeah that's that summed up every party I've ever been to I will say the film then trips over itself in trying to be relatable and does go too far when Will picks up the guitar and sings a whole song like this and it's like <laughs> that again it, that's, it's not it's not funny really the first time Ever I saw your face. What is he doing? I thought the sun. It's weird, I don't like it. Rose in your eyes. We've seen it done better elsewhere in the world of British comedy. You know, I, I will point to Alan Partridge serenading his Valentine yes. on the on the mic as that joke done to perfection. <laughs> Why do birds suddenly appear so it's too high? Um, <laughs> and just seeing Will do that, but without any awareness of what how what he's doing is like awful. He, he goes in with the utmost confidence, right? He has yeah. so many opportunities to be, to be stopped, and he and, and he doesn't seem to be aware that it was embarrassing after he's done it either. So it's just annoying yeah that's that's a good example i think of where i was like okay this is this is making me cringe but not not in the way it's supposed to it's not making me cringe because he's embarrassing it's making me cringe because the writers are embarrassing why have they put this in (laughs) to be fair though like i i don't know i never thought the in-between as even the show was above the odd moment like that i there it always had you know i like the show and on the whole i think it's great fun but it you know, it's not the smartest, most incredibly well-structured yeah. no. bit of comedy in the world. And I'm struggling to pull a specific moment. To well, I'll give you a specific. The, where, where, the fashion show where, where he's, one of his bollocks yeah. is hanging out of his pants. There you go. Yeah. Like, I mean, that is that is lowest common denominator you can get. But that's a lot funnier than this uh, round the campfire singing. Can I can I predict another bit that you won't like, Gareth? Go on. When Neil shits himself and it goes down the flume and smacks uh, Will in the face. Yeah, exactly. I think having the poo in the flume and in the pool would have been embarrassing enough. It didn't need to be in his face. <sighs> I'm kind of with you. I dislike poo. <laughs> I'm kind of with you. It goes a bit too far. It's more gross out than actually funny. Yeah. At the yeah. same time, I think they handle what it is very well to say it could have just been disgusting. I think it largely does play the way it's meant to. And I will take that moment over the guy sniffing coke up a shitty 20 euro note in the first film. I don't like poop. Alan loves it. <laughs> I like the bits where Will is trying to get on board with the whole spirituality thing. And they're around a, the circle of hate or whatever they called it. Oh, when and, they can't. And he just couldn't, the, he just yeah, couldn't yeah, contain yeah. it anymore. That, that, was, that was good. Where he, yeah, where he snaps and, and takes it all down. That, that's yeah, good. Yeah, when funny. they keep saying there's no wrong answers. And then he's like, all right, what about homeless people and the crippled? Let's throw them on, shall we? <laughs> oh, no, there are wrong answers, aren't there? It's like, yeah. And I did yeah. enjoy the supporting character of the, the, the married couple. Yeah, yeah I thought it was a nice else. detail. And she was they didn't trying to find her spiritual side and her poor husband was just stuck there with her. I don't mind if I skin up as if. I 
Stephen? Nobody fucking minds. That's right. Run away from our problems like you always do. I think my my general point really is this film feels the first film to me feels a bit desperate and try hard and like they're really trying to make something that's going to work for a you know mainstream audience and maybe can travel abroad and you know whereas this second film doesn't feel like that it just feels like they're doing an in between this movie and they're doing it organically and they're not overthinking it and they're having fun with it and I think it's all the better for that it's just just a feature length episode really to me i agree to a large extent there i think because yeah i think the first one perhaps has a better structure as a film but that's because it feels like they've created a very simple structure and then made things fit it yeah Uh, whereas this feels like they've gone with an idea and then kind of flowed with it and it is a little bit segmented you know we have the the australia section with the 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 swim park bit and then the spiritualism and then the australian outback outback bit bit. yeah but then i will say if this is the end of the in-betweeners and they do never get a big reunion thing together i like that outback sequence as their kind of last Mm. hurrah i think it's a really nice moment where they it's like the end of toy story 3 where they think they die in the furnace (laughs) (laughs) but but that's what they're doing it's you know they they come together they kind of appreciate that they do actually care about each other Mm -hmm. it's also you know really stupid and they get some decent gags out of it and some pretty unpleasant you know, toilet. And then the guy the well. guy comes up like, You've only been here two hours, you bloody bums. <laughs> yeah, which I didn't like because how does he know how long they've been there without talking to them? Well, you know what, Salt? I've listened to your points and you've made some good points. And actually your point about how they're dialed back I kind of don't disagree with that. I think you're right. But but the truth is I didn't enjoy this and I, I'm really struggling to to articulate why. I was cringing. That was that was it. That was it. I, I was basically there were several times in this film where I was like, "Oh god, why are they doing this? Why have, this has gone on too long?" My memory of when this came out is that it was generally regarded as a better film, even though it wasn't the mega hit of the first one culturally speaking. I think with, you know, 7 years of hindsight and allowing things to settle that it's become much more of a toss-up whether or not people prefer the first one or the second one but certainly i remember people thinking it was the better of the two and there doesn't seem to be a clear-cut opinion now as to which one's better but people do generally seem to prefer one or the other <laughs> how well did it do sold compared to the first one did it was it as successful or was it more successful um, I think it made a hell of a lot of money, but I don't think it it's, made the it same. It wasn't money. as much money. Yeah, it wasn't the, the same office, as the first one. But you know, it, but it did did well. It certainly it did, did well. made a profit. Just to compare and contrast, so the at the end of this film, you know, as we've seen, Jay has gone halfway around the world to find Jane and sort of profess his love to her, and he finally does it at the end. And she she basically says, "Oh, you're so stupid." Oh, does that mean we can get back together? No, <laughs> like I, I live on like a horse that. ranch in the outback. But you know, you're you're a nice boy, but we've moved on, you know. And that was I a like, much I more like fitting that, end for that character. Yeah, yeah much oh, more completely. appropriate and realistic, as opposed to everyone being happy at the end. And then if we just if we want to slip right to the end, where they have a little sort of credits montage of them traveling, mm-hmm. um, yeah, silliness, silliness, but. What I really liked about it at the end was they all came back like with their traveller hair, <laughs> uh, which was, you know, again, it's just a little visual gag, whatever. But what I really liked about that was Simon Bird had his hair grown out long and it was like, 
Fucking hell, he looks sexy. He's got like this kind of sexy <laughs> Australian surfer thing going on. I, I know what you mean, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Whereas yeah. the others did look stupid. Also, when Simon Bird takes his shirt off, he's actually pretty buff, isn't he? He's not yeah, like, I thought he's that. There was, a, there was a visual gag where Ben, the surfer dude, takes his top off and he's, he's ripped. And, you know, we're supposed to compare to weedy little Simon Bird. But I was looking at Simon Bird thinking, well, it's not so bad, mate, you know. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's doing yeah. all right. That's like saying Jane's fat. Yeah, yes, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. He's not. Yeah, he's not. He's not short and nerdy enough, looking enough to get away with that joke. It's it's a bit of a shame in that you know that that ending montage. Like I say, I I think there was life in these characters. I think they could have got a a whole third movie with them actually going traveling, and it would have worked just fine. And but they they obviously felt like they needed to end things. They seem, like I say, really hung up on the idea that the characters were too old, uh, the actors were too old to play these characters anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think the characters are too old now as well. They've aged out to a point where you can't do the same kind of humour with them. I do think if they wanted to, they could do a big reunion special or a movie. To be honest, I don't know if they'd get away with a third in between his movie that is like a big, ooh, where are they now? But I think they'd get away with like a big Channel 4 Christmas special. Do like a talk show, get Jimmy Carter home. It. <laughs> yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? <laughs> Thank you for listening, and if you've enjoyed this and you want more sitcom discussion, do go and check out our back catalogue in which we have already looked at sitcoms ranging over several decades of all sorts of different styles, something for every taste. And if you're more into film reviews, then check out the Diminishing Returns podcast with myself and Sol. Find that at dimreturns.com or just search for Diminishing Returns in the usual podcast places. In the meantime, please do go and check out our social media feeds. We're at BritcomPod on Instagram and Twitter. Or just keep yourself subscribed as we will have some extra content on this feed until we get the new series up and running next year. Thank you for listening and see you next time.